Good morning, everyone. A blessed new year to all of you. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, may He add that grace, that peace, that mercy to you abundantly. Oh, thank you. You know, beginning today, our pulpit series for 2022 will cover the entire book of Numbers. Uh, let me uh, start off by saying that um, you're probably aware through an email that uh, this is made available to all of you so that you can follow this sermon series throughout the entire year. Well, you can, you can get the e-copy, which is free of charge, or you can get a hard copy here, at the, right at the back after the service. Okay, it costs $5, okay, and uh, all proceeds will definitely go back to the church, uh, 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 will be offered on your behalf back to the church. So uh, if you need assistance and help just to take, uh, do your own personal study and devotion and to take the necessary sermon notes, this may actually help you. It costs only $5 for a hard copy. I'll start off with an overview this morning. Now, I don't wish to make it overly academic, like typical introductions you find in many commentaries and study guides. Well, you can, of course, read them on your own for your own preparation, and I recommend that. Numbers is the fourth book in the Pentateuch, or the fourth book in the Old Testament, or the Jewish Torah. Beginning from Genesis, the first five books of the Old Testament tracks the formation of the nation of Israel. Genesis, from the call of Abraham in Ur of the Chaldeans, to Canaan, and then to their extended stay in Egypt. Exodus, from their deliverance from Egypt to their arrival at Mount Sinai. Leviticus took place entirely at Mount Sinai. Numbers, from their preparation to leave Mount Sinai to their arrival at the plains of Moab. Deuteronomy, where they were camped in the plains of Moab prior to their conquest of Canaan. If you were to study a map of that region, Mount Sinai, where the book of Numbers begins, is traditionally located in the south, close to the tip of the Sinai Peninsula. The plains of Moab is north, of the Dead Sea on the west side of the Jordan River. What is noticeable is in between them is a large stretch of dry and inhospitable land. Now, all of us know the fourth book of the Old Testament or the fourth book of the Pentateuch is named Numbers. Now, Numbers is the English title given to the book, translated from its Greek title given to it because of the data, the census data recorded in chapters 1 to 4 and chapter 26. But its Hebrew title comes from the fifth word that opens the book. Reading from right to left in the Hebrew text, the fifth word is uh, Bermitbah, in the wilderness. Bermitbah, in the wilderness. That, to me, is a far more appropriate title than the English title. The Hebrews know this book as In the Wilderness. For us, we know this book as Numbers. 
And I suggest to you that In the Wilderness is a far more appropriate title for the fourth book of the Pentateuch. You see, for the book of Numbers records the 40 years Israel spent wandering in the wilderness between Mount Sinai and the plains of Moab. Now, as I outline the book of Numbers, this is my own outline. In outlining the book of Numbers, I noticed two key transitions that you all can take note as we go through this entire book. One, geographical. From Mount Sinai in chapter 1 to the plains of Moab in chapter 22. So there is a transition that is due with geography, geographical transition. There's another transition, generational. From the generation of those who left Egypt in chapter 1 to the generation of those who entered the promised land in chapter 26. So you see two transitions. One geography from Mount Sinai to the plains of Moab, the other generation. From the generation that left Egypt to the generation that was camped at the plains of Moab prior to entry into the promised land. The second census taken on the plains of Moab concluded with these sobering words. Numbers 26, verse 64. But among this, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people in the wilderness of Sinai. Not one. From the first census recorded in chapter 1 was included in the, second, uh, in the second census in chapter 26 with the exception of two. Here's the shocking thing. Even Moses and Aaron were not listed in the second census. The fourth book of the Pentateuch on Numbers, or in the wilderness according to the Hebrews, explains how this state of affairs came about. You see, Numbers started off positively. The numbering of the tribes of Israel, the organization of the camp, the establishment of the duties and responsibilities of the priests and the Levites. Then things start to fall apart in their journey through the wilderness. So don't let the English title of the book fool you. There is much more to the book than just counting people. It marks an important transitional period in the nation of Israel. Now, it is true, and many of you will find out very soon, it is true that there are many things in the book that will sound strange to modern years. Ancient laws, hard-to-understand rituals, outmoded practices. But at the same time, as you read through the book, there are also episodes that touchingly move us. The tragedy of the spies the exclusion of Moses from the promised land, the comedy of Balaam and his speaking donkey. The book of Numbers is challenging for readers and interpreters, but it also contains many lessons for the modern church. So for this year, this entire year, 
as we delve into the myriad details of the book of Numbers. We need to take careful attention to what the Lord has to say to His church who is living in this day, in 2022. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 and say, says this, verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I wonder, you know, the Apostle Paul, as he penned those words, as he penned the word in the wilderness, whether he recollect numbers. I believe he has, he, he indeed collect, recollected the book of numbers. Because Paul, in the very same letter to the Corinthians, recalled several incidents in his letter to the Corinthian church. You can refer them in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. For example, Israel indulging in sexual immorality, causing 23,000 to die on one day. Israel putting God to the test, causing some to be killed by snakes. Israel grumbling against God, causing others to be destroyed. These incidents were all recorded in the book of Numbers. I believe when Paul wrote those words in the wilderness, he recalls the book of Numbers. That is why he recounted those incidents found in the very book of Numbers itself. These incidents were all recounted there. They serve as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. You know, God is so gracious to us. He knows. He knows our heart better than we know it. He knows there is a tendency for His people to go astray. So what He did for us to warn us ahead of time, to give us examples of how we ought to behave and how we ought not to behave. They serve as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So in this overview, let me now turn to the two transitions I mentioned earlier on in my outline of numbers. Here's the first one, geography. This is the setting of place. You see, for almost a year, Israel was camped before Mount Sinai. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the pillar of cloud lifted from the tabernacle, and Israel set out into the heart of the wilderness. You know, Moses later on, when he looked back, this is what he recorded of the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. This is what he says God has done. God, or He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. That's how God described, that's how Moses described the wilderness. You know, I then realized where we find ourselves today is similarly difficult and hazardous. There are real dangers around us. We stand on the edge of yet another viral wave. You know, someone said to me, if it is not another variant, it's probably another virus. 
COVID, along with other challenges, have disrupted life as we know it. They have vividly reminded us that we live in perilous times, dangerous times. As you look ahead to 2022, what lies ahead of us looks unmapped, unfriendly, uncertain. The question must be asked, why? Why does God lead us through such inhospitable places? Why does God lead us through dangerous and hazardous territory? Why do God lead us to places where there are things that may cause us and our loved ones harm? Why does God do that? You know, recently I was led to a passage in the Pentateuch that looks like a good place to start in answering this question. Israel had finished crossing the Red Sea. The seawaters had wiped out Pharaoh's army. Israel broke out in triumphant songs, the famous song in Exodus chapter 15. Surely, the future looked promising. And then in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 to 24, Exodus 15, 22 to 24, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Soon the song ceased and the grumbling began. That seems to be the default response of the people of God when they find themselves in difficult places or circumstances. They grumble. They see a situation they don't like, they whine and complain. They don't get what they want, they gripe and moan. They look for a convenient scapegoat against which to direct their unhappiness. Guess who they chose? Moses, right, the leader. Blame him. What shall we drink? Three days, no water. Finally, come to some water. Guess what? When we put our hand and the first person who tried to drink it, bitter water, poisonous water, not good for our health. What is going on, Moses? What are we to drink? You know, in the following chapter, in Exodus chapter 16, Moses replied, verse 7 and 8, Moses said this, For what are we, referring to himself and Aaron, the high priest, for what are we that you grumble against us? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. I think here's the first important lesson we need to learn as we plow through the book of Numbers. Do you grumble? Do you grumble? You know, will you take a moment to reflect? You find yourself in a situation you don't like. You find yourself among people you don't like. You ask, you did not get. And then, you grumble. 
you moan, you whine, you throw tantrums. Are you aware that grumbling is often disguised as giving feedback? I'm only giving feedback. But inside the Lord sees is grumbling, is complaining, is whining. Are you aware that God hears your grumbling? Are you aware that you are grumbling against Him? After all, He's in control. None of us are. If you want to change any particular situation in your life, you can do it with a snap of a finger or with a word. And yet, He allowed those situations to persist. Do you grumble? And do you realize that even though that person may be directly or indirectly responsible, do you realize that sometimes if this grumbling does not stop, you are no longer grumbling against that person, you are grumbling against God who is in control of everything, yes, even your life. The book of Numbers is full of grumblers. Their grumbling soon turn into bitterness, like the water they drink. You know, I wonder whether God brought them to the water to tell them, actually, that is what you are inside of you. You are bitter. And their bitterness into full-blown rebellion, as we shall see in the book of Numbers. You see, the book of Numbers is full of grumblers and rebels. Back to Exodus chapter 15. Right at the end, the last verse, it says this, Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Right? No water first day. No water second day. No water third day. Found water, bitter water. You see, as Israel or the people of God set forth, remember who is leading them. It's not Moses, you know. It's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's God leading them, right? So when they complain, Israel, in their short-sightedness, only see the current problem. No water problem. You know what God see? God saw far ahead of them. God saw much water just up ahead. Guess where the pillar of cloud is leading? Much water. God was leading them to 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Here's the question. In the book of Numbers, we need to ask ourselves, other than do you grumble, here's the other question you need to struggle with. Do you trust God? Just another lesson from the book of Numbers I'm preparing you for. Do you really, really trust God? Day one, no water. Trust God. He knows what He's doing. Day two, no water. Trust God. He's leading you, not to harm you. Day three, no water still. Trust God. Finally, some water, bitter water. Trust God. Do you trust God? Where you are right now, may look like wilderness country. Where you are may look dangerous and scary. Where you are may be full of pits and potholes. Where you are may be resource scarce. Do you still trust God? You know, I was in Israel in 2010 with my family. 
I learned many lessons there. One of the first things that hit me very strongly was I wasn't impressed by what I saw of the land of Israel. Much of the land there is dry and rocky. I can remember saying to myself, you call this the land of milk and honey? You call this the land of milk and honey? Oh, come on, I've seen better places elsewhere. You go to Europe, you find some really good places. You call this a land of milk and honey? And then I remember what, Deut- uh, what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10 and 12. Here's how Moses described this. For the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sow your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. Egypt has the river now, but the promised land is dependent on rain from heaven. Let me say that again, see whether you catch it or not. Egypt has the river now, but the promised land is dependent on rain from heaven. You know, that was a revelation to me. Standing before Israel, that was a revelation to me. It has never been about the land. It is about the God who cares for it. The Lord is the God of milk and honey. From that day, when I visited Egypt, I no longer call the land the land of milk and honey. I call the God of the land the God of milk and honey. Where God is, milk and honey flows abundantly, even in the wilderness. Right? Moses, strike that rock, water comes. Rock? Now, come on, let's be realistic. No water will come from rock. Because God is the God of milk and honey, where God is, milk and honey flows abundantly, even in the wilderness. Yet, I still have to answer that question, right? Why does God lead us to such inhospitable places? Right there, in Exodus chapter 15, between the no water, bitter water, and the much water, there is two verses there. This is it. Hear this. There, the Lord make for them a statue and a rule, and there He tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The wilderness is a place of testing. Herein lies the key, I believe, that unlocks the book of Numbers. Remember this key. It, it, it is a four-part key. Let me show this to you. Okay, You can see that in, in, in the verse. It's a four-part key. Number one, listen to the voice of the Lord. Number two, do that which is right in His eyes. Number three, give ear to His commandments. And lastly, number four, Keep or obey all his statutes. Here's the four-part interpretive key for the book of Numbers. You want to understand Numbers, you remember this four-part key. And you will understand 
why good things happen to some and bad things happen to others. Keep this four-part key in mind. Because we are soon delving into the details of the book of Numbers, you will soon see the trees of the forest, but don't miss the forest. Don't miss the big picture. Don't miss this four-part interpretive key. You see, our journey through the book of Numbers will be rough and tough. It's going to be very, very challenging for many of you. It is wilderness country after all. Be prepared. The Lord will test you. He will cut you to the heart. If you feel stricken at any time, as if you are plagued by God Himself, remember what the Lord says to His people Israel. Exodus chapter 15, I am the Lord your healer. And God demonstrated it to them miraculously. You know what He did? He turned the bitter water sweet. I'm the Lord, your healer. God turned the bitter waters at Mara sweet. He too can turn your bitterness into sweetness. You know, when God does something in creation, there is always a spiritual lesson behind it for us. When we drink the water that is bitter, God wants His people to ask, Are you bitter within? And then God said, and then the people say, what, do you, what, what can you do about a bitter water? God turn it sweet. God can say the same thing to us as well. How are you feeling inside? I can turn it around. Come to me for healing. Stop grumbling. Stop moaning. Stop whining. Come to me for healing. I am the Lord, your healer. Here's what the Lord is teaching us. If grumbling is your default posture, you will not survive the wilderness. You will not survive His test. Turn to God right now. Turn away from grumbling and complaining. Go to Him for healing. Stop grumbling. Go to God humbly and say to Him, Lord, You know. You know what I'm grumbling and complaining about. So Lord, turn what is bitter between me sweet. So first is geography. That is the setting of place. Second is generation. This is the setting of people. So there's a setting of place. This is the setting of people. God uses place to shape people. Why does God lead His people through the wilderness? Because He wants to use the wilderness that setting dangerous and hazardous to shape his people. The book of Numbers begins with a census. The people of God were all there. Soon you will come across there in chapter 1. The 12 tribes, the priests, the Levites. The book of Numbers lays stress not just on place, but also people. You see, place and people come together. And I found this verse from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, but 
how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Notice where God romances his bride. Not Hawk Park, huh? not Botanic Gardens. I know some of you bring your girlfriends there, right? Not Garden by the Bay, but the wilderness. That's where God romances his bride. God, there God proposed to his bride. You know, I, I watched, or I come across various, or oh, actually the other day I was quite curious, right? So I actually typed, you know, uh, on the Google, right? I typed on the Google, say, uh, what are the top five favorite places Singaporeans like to use for marriage proposal? Wow, they gave me a long list, uh, and none of them was a wilderness. But God chose the wilderness to romance his bride. God chose the wilderness to propose to his bride. You know what he's looking for? I highlighted that. He looked for devotion. He looked for love. He looked for commitment. Do you exhibit these qualities? Devotion, love, commitment. Verse 3 goes on to say in Jeremiah, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Basically, what the Lord is saying here, Israel is set apart for me. You touch Israel, I destroy you. You see, above all, the Lord looked for holiness among his people. You see, holiness is intrinsic to God. But it wasn't innate to the people of God. Holiness, however, is not unnatural, something very unnatural. No, it is normal. Because that's what God created us in His image. If God is holy, so are we. It is not unnatural. However, because we have fallen into sin unaided, holiness is humanly impossible. Numbers recognizes two main ways holiness is breached. Disobedience from rejecting the commandments of God, defilement. Numbers mention many things that defile the people of Israel, skin diseases, bodily discharges, and dead bodies. Numbers prescribes two remedies, sacrifices, for redemption and restoration, separation, for cleansing and consecration. You see, the intricate details of the various rituals in the book of Numbers all have one purpose. They all seek to preserve the sanctity of the people of God. So when you read all those details, you may say, huh, what is that? Right, remember the the, the forest, not the trees. Remember the forest. The whole idea is God used those riches to purify His people, to sanctify His people, to preserve the sanctity of the people of God. You see, for the holy God cannot dwell among unholy people. Holiness isn't an optional virtue. It is a matter of life and death. You'll see this in the book of Numbers. It's a matter of life and death. Israel found to their great horror what happened when they attempted to take matters of holiness into their own hands. 
That is why earlier on in one of my sermons, the Rethinking series, I say uh, we have to be very careful when we rethink how to do church, right? Or when we rethink how to do worship. We cannot define it ourselves as we like, no? Oh, I prefer this. Very careful. You're going to read in a book on numbers, huh? some people there say, I prefer to do it this way, and you see what happened. God is not someone to trifle with. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, and later in the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned again, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The Lord is the God of grace, thanks be to Him. He's the God of mercy, thanks be to Him. But He is also the God of wrath. Paul balanced these two out in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Paul says this, Note then, the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. This is written in the New Testament. It is not just Old Testament stuff. It is present stuff. There is still kindness, but there is still severity of God. You see, GFC stands at a crossroad. One generation will soon pass. Another generation will soon take its place. I will soon pass. In two years' time, I'm 60 years old. I'll soon pass. But the Lord requires the same from every generation, that they be found faithful, that they continue in His kindness, that they learn from past examples, that they don't repeat the same mistakes, that they guard themselves from disobedience and defilement, that they remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that they separate themselves from evil, that they listen to the voice of God, that they do what is right in His eyes, that they give ear to His commandments, that they keep all His statutes. There is geography, the setting of place, where God puts His people to the test. There is generation, the setting of people, where God looks for qualities like devotion, love, commitment, and holiness. Running through both geography and generation is God Himself. So keep in mind the three Gs. Geography, generation, God. Geography, generation, God. And I string them in, a, in one sentence for you. God always woos a generation through judicious use of geography. And by the word geography, I mean it literally as well as metaphorically. Let me say that again. I combine the three Gs together into one sentence for your easy remembrance. God always woos a generation through judicious use of geography. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember 
This is Moses looking back. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you will keep His commands. This is what the book of Numbers is all about. The wilderness can be a beautiful place if you obey God, but it can also be a deadly place if you spurn the God who loves you. The book of Numbers calls us to choose wisely. It showcases the faithful God. It urges us away from faithlessness. And let me repeat that sentence one time before I close. God always woos a generation through judicious use of geography. Or in another way, God always woos a people through judicious use of place and pain. Let us pray. I trust the sermon this morning prepares you to anticipate what is to come. God will put you to the test, surely, if He has not already done so in the past year. God loves you. That is why He romances you. Sometimes even in dangerous, hazardous places, He used pain judiciously not to harm you, but to test and humble you, to turn your heart back to Him. Because just up ahead is much water. Or can I say, in the real sense, up ahead is the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. Respond to the Lord this morning. Remember the four-part key. Listen to Him. Do what is right in His eyes. Pay careful attention to His commandments. Obey all His statutes. Heavenly Father, as we take time to respond to You, not just this very moment, but throughout this year, grant us the kind of heart, the posture, the mind that will obey you through and through, even though we walk through the very valley of the shadow of death. Help us remember that you are with us. You will never reject us or forsake us, but yet you will not leave the guilty unpunished. So Lord, I commit the people, young and old, in GFC to you right now. I want to leave every single one right now into your very hands because I know, O oh Lord, when they are in your hands, they are safe and protected. I pray in the midst of their lives, I do not know what challenges they will face in the coming year, but in the midst of walking with you through wilderness territory, grant them to be faithful. Grant them not to be afraid. Grant them, O oh Lord, to follow the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And yes, Lord, Love them with your everlasting love. We give you thanks, we give you praise, and in your name we pray. Amen.